0: Friends, this is John Gunter from the Eagle Community Church of Christ. We're so glad that you're joining us again this week uh, as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. Yes, this is very, very interesting. This is one of those things where you read the passage and then go, what do I do with this? And we understand that. And it's probably the reason we uh, avoid it as much as we do. Uh, but I want to encourage you as we go through this. I think there are some maybe easier than we uh understand it at first glance, easier things to understand. Uh, and, and so I hope that this, uh, this lesson kind of helps bring some clarity to what's going on as, as kind of crazy and almost fantastic, uh, as we see these things uh, occur in front of us. But I think maybe uh, the Bible's doing something else that maybe we don't normally look for. So again, we thank you for listening in and we'd like to invite you out anytime you get a chance. Have a great week sign-ups begin today. Um, you'll remember last year when we started these, so we, we limited them to 12 adults. We don't need a small group of 40 people. That's a congregation, not a small group. Uh, but we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six over here. So, uh, and, and Miss Laura even printed out a map, so if you're concerned with the geography, you want one closer to your house, that's on there, so you can see all of these things we'd love to have you sign up. And again, uh, so we're able to kind of grow closer together. Uh, we form these deeper relationships and especially, you know, kind of on this side of COVID after we were having to be away from each other and kind of look at everybody with a <laughs> eyebrow raised like you're going to infect me. Um, you know, it, it's about time that we can you know, spend some time together and get to know one another. So uh, Katie and I really enjoy it. We're hosting a group and uh, we're just going to tell you, it'll bless your lives. If you get, in, get involved and actually put, put effort into it, it'll be great for you. So again, uh, fill those out. Uh, now, first service had a jump on you, so you better get over there and, and fill those out. So uh, today, again, we continue in our study of Revelation. Today we are in chapters 10 and 11, which means we're basically halfway through. And for some of you, you may be jumping for joy. I don't know. Some of you may love the chaos and the confusion and all those things. I don't know. Uh, But today we're going to read again from Revelation chapters 10 and 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, scroll which laid open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from the heavens spoke to me once more, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, "Take it and eat it. I will turn. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will, ta- it will be as sweet as honey." I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague As often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. (coughs) Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake And a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So you're probably feeling the warm and fuzzies right now <laughs> as we went through that reading. Isn't that interesting? I told you last week as we covered chapters 8 and 9 that really uh, if we would have the time and space and some of you wouldn't walk out because of time restraint. We should have covered chapters 8 through 11. This is kind of one setting, one, uh, one viewing that John has. And remember last, last week, what we had was kind of this devastation, calamity. Uh, all of these things are getting blotted out, like the grass burns up, the water turns bitter. Uh, remember, a third of everything goes bad, a third of the sun goes out, a third of the moon, the stars... All of these things happen, and you go, what in the world do we do with this? And then all of a sudden, you have locusts who look something like horses dressed for battle, and you're going, my gracious. But then at the end of chapter uh, 9 there, what we have is even after all of these things befall people, the people don't turn back to God. They continue worshiping demons and idols and things like that. And so uh, in these chapters that we just read, you kind of feel the shift from those things, right? You, you have just a little bit of a shift. Yeah, it's still kind of crazy to us, uh, but there is a shift. And one of the things that we we see when we look at these chapters, immediately we're drawn to the numbers. Did you hear how many numbers were in there? Okay, so for a lot of people who think Revelation is this puzzle that if I stare at it long enough, you know, I can make sense of it. And so we go to Revelation and we think, man, I can figure out all these numbers here. Uh, And and that's not the case because of the way the Bible uses numbers. If you've been a part of our Wednesday night uh, class, we've been studying how to study the Bible. One of those things, one of those realities that we have to come to is a lot of times the Bible does not teach you the way we think we ought to be taught. Okay, so Jesus doesn't come out and lay out, you know, here's my bullet points. He teaches in parables, okay? And so a lot of times the the Bible is doing something that we as modern readers don't catch. And numbers is one of those things. So you think about how many times the Bible uses numbers like 40, right? And three, and 12, and what's the best one? Seven, Seven, yeah, which means kind of completion or uh, wholeness. And so when you see numbers like this, We don't go, okay, seven literal days, and this is going to happen as we read today. No, this is an idea of when everything has happened and we have come to completion, it is finished. I'm going to show you a couple of things here. We're going to use Genesis as an example just to kind of show you there are some things going on that we don't catch immediately. So in Genesis 1-1, there are seven words. In Genesis 1-2, there are 14 words, two times seven. Okay, seven paragraphs in the Genesis 1 days. And by the way, there are how many days? Seven, okay. Well, we're going off of a, a lunar cycle or something, which is 29 days, and so seven point something. Okay, seventh day has three lines with seven words each. Okay, keywords show up in multiples of seven. God shows up seven times five. Land shows up seven times three. Sky shows up seven times three. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so there are things going on that we don't catch. And one of the biggest things to understand, like the use of of seven, is the words seven and complete use the same consonants. So in Hebrew, you don't have consonant, vowel, consonant like we do, right? So it's just all consonants. And so to look at those words, you would say that's the same word. And so a lot of times Bible the Bible will use wordplay like that. Either they use a word that sounds like another word and use it as wordplay, or they'll use a word like this where, oh, that looks like the same word. Actually, a group came along later on and, and started putting instead of vowel, consonant, vowel, or, you know, consonant, vowel, consonant, they would put a consonant, and then under that they would put a little sign that would tell you, oh, I need to make a a e you know, all of these things. Okay, and so we need to know that when we look at this. And so just going back to what we read this morning, uh, they will trample on the city for 42 months. Now, don't waste your time trying to figure out when is the 42 months, okay? Is 42 divisible by seven? Yes. Yes, it is. It's six, right? Okay, I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. I need to know when that is, right? Well, 1260 divided by seven is 180, Okay. So there's something else going on there. And talking about the uh, the big angel here, when he shouted, the voice of the seven thunders spoke. Seven thunders. And by the way, how many uh, churches did we read about in Revelation two and three? Seven. Yeah. So the idea of completeness, like this is going to everybody. You remember, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches over and over. And, and again, uh, forty-two months. There's something else going on here. Uh, how many years is 42 months? I'm, I'm stretching you this morning. Sunday morning? Three and a half. Thank you. Thank you. You, you know, everybody is afraid, you know, I'm going to say something. It's not going to be right. Three and a half. Because you, you were looking for seven, weren't you? And that's okay. That's a part of this whole story. Like, wait, wait, hold on. Seven not in there, John. You're an idiot. No. Uh, three and a half. Okay, well, you we also, that was three and a half years. We also have this, where it says, you know, the prophets, their, their bodies were laid in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. It says for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, nation, will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. So you have three and a half years, three and a half days. And, and Dr. Koester will tell us uh, that the figure of three and a half was a common way to speak about a limited period of time. So seven is a complete period of time, like everything is fulfilled, everything has happened that's going to happen. Well, half of that, three and a half, was used, not literally, but used to say the time that is not a full amount of time, but a limited amount of time. Now you need to go read that uh, again and, so, and think these things, because when we first read it, we don't catch that, but I wasn't raised reading looking for these things, were you? But that's the way the Bible uh, does a lot of things. Again, 40 days, 40 nights. It's going to be seven days, okay? Uh, when, when you study about Jesus being in the tomb for three days, and you go back and you go, wait, he went on Friday, and he was up Sunday morning. That doesn't, I need 24 literal, you know. And so the Bible's not teaching that way. And so when you look at this, you need to understand that there's more going on. This is not a, a puzzle to be solved. This is God revealing to John that there are things that are going to happen in the completeness of time. There are other things that are going to be limited and happen only for a time. You understand? Okay. Uh, So let's talk about for a second the mighty angel, because the mighty angel is the one who kind of interrupts what we just had happen in chapter 9, where everything goes wrong and the people still turn away from God, and all of a sudden here we get this picture of this colossal angel big enough to stand on the land and the sea, and I would imagine everybody listened to that angel, uh, wouldn't you think? Uh, But what we have here is is the angel is roaring like a lion and and having these these thunders and these things going on, And, and so really what that's painting a picture of is what John is experiencing is the time. Remember, he says, now is the time. There will be no more delay, he said, So what John is experiencing right here is judgment is coming. It is the time, the the seven, okay? It is the complete time. It is now time for God's perfect judgment, okay? Again, not trying to read the newspaper and figure out, does this connect to this? But what John is seeing is there's going to be a time when when God says, okay, this is it, and now it is a time for judgment. I want you to also notice uh, Heath McCartney uh, turned me on to a podcast written by or or done by a Bible scholar. And all he does in a series on Revelation, he doesn't like try to explain Revelation. All he does in this whole series is go to Revelation and show you when John writes something how it ties back to the Old Testament. And this is one of those things as well from Daniel 12 7. See if this sounds familiar. The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times two and a half. That's three and a half. You get that? When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. You catch all that. So we got three and a half, and then we've got completion. We got basically seven here. And you've got this this figure who is, again, doing just what the mighty angel was doing. And so you you get this nod back to Daniel 12. Okay, so there's a lot of times a lot more going on than what we might see. Uh, One of the things that is, as you read this for the first time especially, you get to this part where John has this interaction, hey, go get the scroll from that guy. And John walks over and he's like, sure, you can have it. Go ahead and eat it. Anybody signing up for that today? Now, every once in a while, I try to put like a, a catchy YouTube. Uh, so you have the thumbnail that, you know, when you're scrolling YouTube, uh, that's what you see, because you've got you've to create like some catchiness to it. And by the way, those of you who watch YouTube, you know that like 98% of them is somebody doing this, you know, <laughs> shocked out of their mind. And so I didn't do that for this. <laughs> but it does say eat the scroll. Uh, And and so we go, what do you do with this? And so uh, when John is told to eat the scroll, it's it's the idea of you need to internalize this message that you're seeing, that you're hearing, that you're reading, all of these things. And and notice he says, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but after a little while, it's going to turn your stomach sour. And I think that's probably what we all get as we read through this. It's like there, there are some things as we read about it, that are very, very sweet. That that in the end, right, you know, God is in control and God wins, right? But in the meantime, in that three and a half and not the seven, there are some things that are going to take place that we may not like. Is that right? Anybody living through some of that right now? There's going to be some time where it, it, it's just not good. And so part of this message that John is told to internalize and to eat is a very good message that God wins, but the, the rest of the story is not all sweet. It is not all health and wealth and prosperity. It's not name it and claim it and you'll get it, right? It is that bad things happen to good people, too. Even these prophets who, don't you just love the, the story where you're like, oh, my heart's kind of broken because these prophets were killed, and they're not even given a burial, and then after the three and a half days, God breathed life into them. They stood up, and everybody goes, oh. You know, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at that. You just imagine the, the excuses you've got, right? And so eat the scroll is kind of like internalize this and just understand it's not always going to be rosy and perfect. But the sweet part of it is that God's got you, Right? Another part of this is uh, he talks about the temple of God. Again, we're tempted to go, okay, is that the temple that was destroyed in AD 70? Was that, uh, you know, a temple that's going to be built in the future? And so he tells John to measure it, but notice John never measures anything, really. Okay, you get that? So you got to say, okay, nothing was measured. Okay, maybe it's not uh, literal, and, you know, we need to worry about where that is, because Scripture talks about over and over kind of this idea as the temple of God as what? The church. I will show you a couple examples here from 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? From 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. God goes on, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ephesians 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Again, that, that kind of idea of this figurative temple where we are all apart and Jesus serves as that chief cornerstone. It says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Is that a literal temple? No. Okay? And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, this figurative language that if we're just looking at, oh, I need to find the literal temple. Or I need to figure out, did Jesus come back in AD 70 because the temple was torn down then? And a lot of people do that as well. Uh, From 1 Peter 2, 5, finally here, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, again, all this figurative language can uh, kind of mess us up. we got to, again, keep the, the big picture in view. And that's what we do, and that's what we end with here in chapter 11, is the idea of the kingdom of God. Now, there is no delay. If you notice in your bulletin, that's the scripture that uh, we have that that Tammy put front and center uh, from uh, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Somebody say amen. That's the sweet part of this message, isn't it? That is the sweet part of eating this this information that not everything's good, but in the end, God's got us. That The kingdom of heaven has spilled over, and now the the Lord reigns, and and his will has been done both in heaven and on earth, and consequently, and maybe coincidentally, not really, it's the way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. You remember this from Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus doesn't teach his disciples to pray, Lord, get me off of this rock so I can fly to you. He teaches them to pray, Lord, bring your kingdom here. And the wonderful part about this message is that what is revealed to John in this this vision he has in the spirit is that there's one day when everything's complete and done that this will happen. That God will reign over heaven and earth. His will will be done on, in heaven and on earth, and for that I say, amen, come that day. Anybody feel like we're close right now in our world? It's like we're kind of slipping away at times, doesn't it? I mean, that's kind of a feeling that I, I live with at times. Like, well, how are we going to bring this back together? But I hope that you pray that as we go out that we are salt and light examples to other people that we want to bring parts of heaven to earth because that's what we are called to do. We're not just looking to fly away and escape someday, but to help bring this into action. And the good part, again, of this message is that it's gonna happen. You remember Dr. Randy Harris said you can sum up Revelation with this. There's a battle God wins. What's the third one? Big aside, and what's number four? Don't be stupid. We understand as trials and, and tribulations come, as we try to figure out which way's up at times in our life, we can walk in the other direction away from God. We have that choice. We have that ability. But what I'm hoping that we're all, all wanting here is no matter what happens, that we are attached and seeking that relationship with God that we understand that his love and his grace and his mercy all of those things are so great that he's going to overcome all of the evil that we see around us. and so I pray this morning that we do pick a side because there is a battle and praise God for us we know who wins so let's not be stupid let's pick his side. Uh, We're going to offer a a song of invitation. We'd love to pray with you uh, if that's a a good time for you. We'd also like to encourage you to to grab a friend and pray with them. If you don't want to pray with me, we'd love to do that. Uh, But would you come as we stand and sing?